Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hello, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. Part of the fun of being a quilter, and also part of the challenge, is seeing a quilt pattern you love and figuring out how to make it your own. We may be attracted to a pattern for a variety of reasons. Uh, Maybe we love the block or the setting, we love the colors or fabrics, or maybe it's part of a quilt along and we just want to join in on the fun. And while sometimes we may want to make a quilt exactly as it's shown in the pattern and at the exact same size, there are probably quite a few cases where we may want to switch things up to fit our specific needs and likes. I've heard from some quilters that they love the process of changing a pattern to fit their needs, Uh, but I've also heard from even more quilters that they struggle with how to interpret a pattern in a different way. So on this episode, we're sharing some simple ways you can make a pattern your own. First, let's chat about the colors and fabrics of a quilt. Many times, it's impossible to match the exact fabrics when making a quilt, Um, either because the fabric isn't available anymore, or maybe the pattern designer used a mix of fabrics from their stash, which may be hard to collect all those different parts and pieces. Um, This is especially true with scrappy quilts. Um, And you may want to change the look of the quilt to fit a specific color palette for your home decor or a holiday, or even the favorite colors of a special someone that you're gifting the quilt to. A few tips when changing up the colors. Sometimes patterns come with a coloring diagram or a little coloring sheet so that you can plan your quilt in your own colors. So if so, it can be really helpful to color in a few blocks with your chosen color palette to see if you like the direction you're headed. If the pattern doesn't come with a coloring sheet, you can sketch a block onto graph paper and then color it in, or you can even photocopy the quilt in black and white and then color on top of it. If you have fabric to spare, You can even try making a test block to see how it looks with your chosen fabrics. If you're still unsure about your fabric choices, it can be helpful to think about contrast of fabric in the quilt. So in the pattern, notice if the background fabric is light or dark. In the blocks, what is the contrast of the different pieces or units? Are there light and dark fabrics, medium colors, a range? I like to take my fabric choices for a quilt uh, and sort them by light, medium, and dark fabrics, 
and then match them to the light, medium, and dark placement from the original quilt pattern. This takes some of the guesswork out of how to mix and match your fabric and ensures that you're still getting the overall design and depth of that original quilt pattern. Next, let's talk about size. Many quilt patterns come in standard sizes for table runners, throw, bed quilts, like, you know, crib, twin, or queen. Um, but what I know about standard sizes is that tables and beds rarely come in standard sizes anymore. So depending on your table width and length, uh, the size plates you use, your mattress thickness, whether you have a box spring or a platform bed and other factors, a quilt that works for one table or bed may not work for another. So it is a good rule of thumb to take measurements of your needs for your quilt and compare them to the quilt pattern before choosing one. Sometimes quilt patterns can be easily adjusted, uh, such as just making fewer or more blocks to change the overall size. Uh, this generally works best if the quilt doesn't have sashing or has really simple sashing. It's also easy to add or subtract borders from the pattern to adjust the size slightly to better fit your space. And while there are ways to make the blocks larger or smaller and redo the math, that is just a lot of work for one pattern. So if the quilt you pick just doesn't seem like it'll work out with the size you need, it might just be easiest to look for another pattern that does. Keep in mind that if you love the block pattern, but you don't need another large quilt, you can also sew a few blocks into a pillow, a mini quilt, a table topper, tote bag, pot holder, or any other small project. I've done this quite a few times and I think it's just kind of fun to scratch the little itch of working on a new project without always committing to a large quilt. Another idea for making a pattern your own is switching up the blocks in a quilt. So sometimes you'll find a quilt pattern that has a really interesting setting or overall layout that you love, but maybe the block just isn't your favorite. Or maybe you love quilts with a variety of blocks instead of just one. In that case, you can make other blocks that are the same size as the block and the pattern and alternate them or swap them out in the quilt. I do this sometimes with block of the months that I join. Every once in a while, there's just a block that I don't love in the quilt. So instead of making it, I will just make a favorite block that measures the same size to swap out. And lastly, if you're a fan of applique or embroidery, you can add those special touches to your quilt, um, especially a quilt that has large blocks or large pieces. It's just a really interesting way to add your own style to a pattern through those little extra embellishments. So I hope some of these ideas get you thinking outside the box when it comes to your next quilt pattern. There is nothing wrong with making a quilt the exact same way as the pattern, but it's also fun to experiment and get creative with patterns too. 
We're going to take a quick ad break, but when we come back, we're sharing tips for getting unstuck on a project, and we're sharing some products we love. Welcome back. Now it's time for UFO Challenge, a segment where we share tips for finishing your quilts. Today, I want to talk about the feeling of hitting a wall when you're working on a project. Does the project immediately come to mind when I say that? <laughs> so hitting a quilting wall, it's not something I would say I experience often when working on a project, but it's definitely something I've dealt with on and off over the years. For me, many times hitting a wall comes with larger or more complex quilts. The quilt may have a lot of little pieces or repetitive units that just stop being fun after a certain point. And most of the time when I hit a wall with a project, I end up pushing the project aside in favor of something I'm more excited about and that project then just sits and sits as an unfinished quilts for years until I make a plan of attack to finish it. In fact, uh, two of the projects on my unfinished pile uh, the past few years have been projects I did hit a wall on. So they both had a limited color palette um, and either one had hundreds and hundreds of triangle squares and the other had a lot of super tiny flying geese units um, and I just found myself feeling like I wasn't making any progress and then I was just doing the same one or two steps over and over again with the same color fabrics and I just couldn't muster the excitement to keep sewing the projects. So many times when you hit a wall I think it comes from this overwhelming feeling of dread with how much you still have left to do on the quilt. So you can get kind of deep in the weeds on a project and you feel like you can't look back to see how far you've come on the project. You can really only see what's still left on your to-do list and sometimes it can feel never-ending or even kind of hopeless at times. But if you anticipate this problem coming when you're working on a quilt, there are a few steps you can take right away to help you get over the wall so you can keep making progress. First, when you hit the wall, try to jump on top of it for a fresh perspective and to enjoy the view. So try to remember what you love about the pattern and the fabrics you chose. Think about where you'll display it in your home or who you're giving it to as a gift. If you have a design wall, hang some blocks or units up to admire. Or share a picture of what you have done with a quilting friend or on social media so others can ooh and ah over it. Things like this can help you see your project with fresh eyes and just reignite the spark in the project so you feel more excited to work on it. If you're still feeling stuck, try making a ta-da list. So similar to how a to-do list shows you what you still need to do, a ta-da list shows you everything you've already done. Think back on your project and make a list of all the steps you've completed so far. And make sure to include everything, 
even if it seems small. Uh, many times those small or tedious tasks take a lot more time than we think. Once you see everything you've already accomplished listed out, you may realize that you've done a lot more than you think, and you'll be even more excited to cross off a few more items to add to your to-do list. Hopefully these tips help next time you're feeling stuck on a project or you feel like you've hit a wall, just a little mindset change that sometimes can help, maybe sometimes not. But I'd love to hear from our listeners, so feel free to email me at apqpodcast at meredith.com with kind of your own idea of what you do when you hit a wall. I think it would be really fun to share everyone's ideas on an upcoming episode. Now we're moving on to what we are loving, a segment where we share the products our staff is obsessed with. So we are about 10 weeks away from Christmas now, if you can believe it. So gifts are absolutely on my brain. (laughs) So we thought it would be fun to start sharing some of the products in our gift guide for this year in case you like to start shopping early. So these gifts that we're sharing on today's episode are for the Gadget Guru. So if you love to stock your sewing room with the latest and greatest tools or show off your new supplies to family and friends, these products are great to add to your list and add to your sewing room. So the first product is called ABC123 Cool Pins. (laughs) These pins, they come in a cute heart-shaped storage box and are meant to help you organize quilt units, blocks, or rows. So the pack comes with 104 pins, which ends up being four sets of 26 pins that are numbered 0 through 25 on one side and lettered A to Z on the other side. And so they're meant to help you kind of organize your units or rows or blocks to keep everything organized um, with this letter or numbering system. And as a bonus, they're also heat resistant, so you can iron over them if needed. So you don't have to pull the pins out if you need to iron. You can keep everything straight, still and organized and in the right order. The next product we love is called a reclaimed seam ripper. And so Seam rippers, uh, they're a staple in any quilter's room. Um, And of course, if you have to rip seams, you might as well do it with something that you like that looks stylish or pretty or that you enjoy using. So these reclaimed seam rippers are from Lisa Bonjean of Primitive Gatherings, and they're crafted from reclaimed silverware. So the handle part of the seam ripper is like the bottom part of a fork or spoon or knife, and then the top is a seam ripper. And there are three finishes available. There's gold, silver, and then an ornate fancier silver. Um, They are a little pricey. The prices start at 25, so it really is a gift to yourself. But if you ever had to upgrade your seam ripper and you were just looking for something a little prettier, this is a great choice. Our next product is called the Quilter's Clapper. If you've never heard of a clapper, it's a weighted block, uh, many times wooden, 
that you place on top of seams after you've pressed them to get these really flat blocks with no bulk. It's really amazing if you've never tried them before. So the clapper we love is from Modern American Vintage and it's handcrafted in a variety of exotic woods and different sizes and it's so beautiful and there's a lot of different wood options um, and designs available. So it really is a gorgeous addition to your sewing toolbox. So there is now the largest rectangular ruler on the market. It's new, it's available, it's from Creative Grids. Um, and this acrylic ruler measures 12 and a half by 24 and a half. So it's a big ruler, um, but it would be great to use for cutting yardage for borders and backing, uh, for squaring up big blocks um, or squaring up your quilts, and even for marking quilting designs across a quilt top. Um, it's an investment in price, but if you have the cutting space to uh, cut larger pieces of fabric with a larger ruler, I think this is worth it because sometimes it is a struggle to cut those larger pieces or it would even be nice to be able to square up 12 inch blocks with you know, one of your standard rulers. So this is a great addition. The next product is called an embroidery thread acrylic organizer. So this product is from Eva B. Makery, and it's a stylish thread minder, and it only measures three and a half by four, so it's very portable. And it's etched with this floral design, which is just so pretty, and it holds up to eight skeins of embroidery floss. And it's just a really fun way to store all your thread colors for one project together. And the holes for the floss are even numbered, so you can keep track of which colors is meant for which uh, stitches or designs in your project. Okay, two more products to go. This one is the Sew Line Anniversary Set. Um, so to celebrate 15 years, Sew Line came out with this really cute gift box, which holds some of their most popular tools. So. If you've never heard of Sewline, this is actually a great little set to get because it introduces you to all of their products. Um, and if you are a Sewline lover like I am, it's just fun to have a little cute box that holds some of their best products because of course you'll always use them. So this specific set comes with both an air and a water erasable pen, a permanent marker, um, a pencil, a glue stick and five and a half inch long scissors. Uh, so this is just a fun little gift set um, just to treat yourself. And the last product is flying geese ruler set. Um, so you can trim flying geese units faster and easier with this set of block lock rulers. You know, we always love block lock rulers um, and we especially love their sets of rulers because you get a set of different sizes to conquer one unit or block easier. So for example, uh, we got the Flying Geese ruler set number six in the office. Uh, there are many different sets uh, for different units and different sizes, but the set we got had three rulers um, that lock into seams so that you can trim units at one and a half by two and a half, two by three and a half, and two and a half by four and a half sizes of flying geese and of course you can always use them to trim you know square and a square blocks or other stitch, stitch and flip units too so it's a very versatile set of tools 
So that's all the products we have to share today. But keep listening to upcoming shows because we have a lot more favorites to share before Christmas. And of course, we'll link to all of these products in our show notes so that you can add them to your wish list or just buy them for yourself. We're going to take a quick ad break, but when we come back, we're answering some listener questions and hearing about a mistake an editor made. Welcome back. Now it's time for Ask Us Anything, a segment where we answer your most pressing quilting questions. And we received two questions recently about the same topic, so we are excited to help. So this first question comes from Suzanne Carter. She says, I am moving to a new home. Packing my sewing room up is a daunting task. Do you have any tips on how to move bolts of fabric to keep them from getting dirty, to stay organized, and to not lose anything in the moving process? Great question, Suzanne. I actually crowdsourced our Facebook followers for their answers. Some of them have moved quite a few times, it seems, and had some good tips to share. So we'll see if any of them work for your needs. There was a general consensus among quilters that you shouldn't let the moving company pack up the things in your sewing room. Um, Maybe furniture would be okay, but you want to do the packing for your smaller objects. There was also quite a few people who recommended moving your sewing room supplies yourself in your car so that you could ensure that they were safe and that they made it to their destination. Most people agreed that smaller containers or boxes were the best way to go in packing your room up. Um, so let's let me read what a few of our listeners had to say. So Patricia Herschel says, My best advice is to use small boxes, one drawer or basket per box. Don't throw lots of small things into a large box. Smaller boxes can always be put into a large box to move. Same with fabric. Keep your legs together however you organize. I store mine by color, so each color had a box and was labeled. To move in, you just grab and take everything out to store. No extra sorting to do. Catherine Trivato says, I found boxes that were the perfect size for fabric. Not too large that you couldn't lift them when full. I used small trash bags to put my stacks of fabric in before being boxed up in case things got wet or you were moving in the rain. Kathy also had a great idea for color coordinating your box labels. So this could be a great idea to label all your fabric with a certain color label, your cutting tools with another, etc. So you know what boxes to open first when you're looking for things later. And Patricia Sachs said, clear plastic containers allow you to see what's inside. So as someone who just moved into a new home a few years ago, I agree with all these tips. Um, Similar to these people, I just packed up my fabric and my supplies by drawer or by shelf. And then when unpacking, I could just take everything from each box and put them right back in the correct spot. So there doesn't seem to be any magical answers for packing up your sewing room, Uh, just like the rest of your house. It's a tedious task, and you'll just want to be sure to label things, protect things as needed, and just be careful lifting some of those heavier items. So good luck with your move, Suzanne. Um, The next quilting question comes from Lauren Rodriguez. She says, 
How should you pack quilts for moving and long-term storage? We are moving soon and will have most of our belongings in a non-climate controlled storage unit for potentially a few months. What suggestions do you have for packing quilts to ensure they come out of storage looking as nice as they did going in? So this is a tough one to answer, Lauren, uh, because it's never recommended to store quilts long-term in a non-climate controlled space. But there are a few things you can do um, to set yourself up for the best possible outcome. So you shouldn't store your quilts in plastic containers as they trap in moisture and that can cause odors, it can cause mold, it can break down your fabric, um, especially if it's non-climate controlled. So the best, best advice we have is to wrap your quilts with clean cotton sheets or place your quilts inside cotton pillowcases, which lets the quilts breathe, but it also protects them from dirt. So just make sure that the sheets or the pillowcases won't run dye if they get wet. So it's best to use plain white ones um, or those that have been washed many, many times and you feel confident in. You can also stack quilts inside archival boxes, which don't lead at uh, they don't leach acid like cardboard boxes do. Um, and just as an overall general side note, cardboard and newspaper attract insects, so not the best for storing quilts. And they both have chemicals that will harm quilts if they're stored too long. So if you need to separate quilts in a stack, make sure you're using acid-free paper and not tissue paper or newsprint. We suggest folding your quilts so that the backing faces out, and that way you're protecting all of the piecing on the front of your quilt. Um, you know, in a worst case scenario, if anything did happen, the backing may be ruined, but hopefully the front of the quilt would be saved. And then we also uh, try to fold your quilts with as few folds as possible to reduce your risk of permanent creases. Uh, and you can also try rolling your quilts around a pool noodle to prevent creases if you have the space. You also may want to consider purchasing a small dehumidifier to keep in the storage unit if they allow it. And that can help eliminate some of the moisture. Um, yeah, we don't know when you're moving or if you, what kind of climate you live in, if it's going to be wet or cold or hot, but um, it may just be a good... A dehumidifier may help curb some of those uh, moisture swings. <laughs> and then just in general, don't store your quilts with mothballs if you had been considering that. Um, they have chemicals that can break down fibers and they just leave bad permanent odors. And if you have the option, try to store your quilts up higher in the storage unit, which can keep pests away and can protect against any water or dirt that may end up on the floor of the unit. And if for any reason a few months of the storage unit turns longer, you might want to just pay your quilts a little visit and make sure they're safe and maybe try refolding them in a different way to avoid any permanent creases. So good luck with your move, Lauren. I hope your quilts stay safe and just look perfect when they finally enter their new home. 
We always love hearing your questions, so shoot us an email at apqpodcast at meredith.com so we can answer yours on a future show. Now I'm handing the mic over to Jody, the editor of American Patchwork and Quilting, for a segment called Quilting Mistakes I Made This Month. Take it away, Jody. This is Jody Sanders, editor of American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine. The quilting mistake that I make too often is sewing when I'm tired. Sewing is therapy for me, and I try to fit it into my schedule whenever I can. With busy work and family schedules, sometimes it's late at night when I get to my sewing machine after finishing chores at the end of the day. Recently, I was tired and lazy and didn't read a pattern all the way through before beginning the cutting and sewing of a new project. I ended up sewing half of the units wrong. After double-checking the instructions, I realized that it was my fault, operator error on my end, and not badly written instructions or poor illustrations. I've done this often enough that instead of sewing at night when I'm tired, now I've started getting up earlier in the morning and sewing when I'm fresh and well-rested. Thanks, Jody. I just love hearing these stories because it makes me feel less alone with some of those whoops moments I make in my own life. <laughs> so that's it for today's show, but just a reminder that we are a month away from our podcast episode called Your Best Sewing Hacks. So make sure to email your best quilting tips to me at apqpodcast at meredith.com and we'll list the email in our show notes. We did an episode like this a year ago and it was so fun and we can't wait to share our listeners' best sewing tips and tricks and um, no idea isn't good enough, I promise. So if you've found the tip helpful, it is guaranteed it will change another's quilter's life. I have learned so much over the years from the tips that you all email in. So don't be shy and email me. I cannot wait to hear from you. I'll chat with you all next week.